In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents... Not another true crime podcast. It's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. Welcome back, everybody, to Not Another True Crime Podcast. You already know what's going on. I'm Sarah Levine. And I'm Danny Murphy. And, you know, we're with you every week. So uh, great to be back with you. It is great to be back. And I mean... We set, we promised you guys we were going to do this internally. We went back and forth, like literally all week. <laughs> Low key. Yeah. But it's, a, it's really that the one where I feel it is even for people who don't listen to crime. It's just the story that everyone is talking about, thinking about, and just it's the cultural conversation. Yeah, it's true. So we are going to be talking about the Gabby Petito case, um, and also a few others that we feel should be just as much in the sort of national consciousness. I mean, I think that should like in an ideal world, that would be true of seriously every case, Mm -hmm. every crime, every person who goes missing. But it's just not the reality, unfortunately, right now. Yes, and we get into the theories and reasons why that kind of ends up, unfortunately, being such a trend. And also, we, uh, yeah, so it really, but it is it is so true. It's every time there is one person missing, there are thousands of other people also missing that aren't getting support or aren't getting justice or aren't getting answers. So true. And I feel like there are so many other important topics that this case has kind of brought to light, um, which a few of them we will try to touch on. But like I said, I mean, it's just, there's so much wrong with the world, I feel like. Where do you start? It, it really is that. It just is truly like, oh, God, we're, what, what, what is this society that we've created? And here we are in it. Yeah. Seriously, just on a rock, spinning in space with a bunch of problems. You know, just a bunch of atoms and molecules doing, doing the damnedest, <laughs> if you will. Anyway. Seriously. And also, I will say that um, I feel like... Uh, a lot of people already know this information because this case has been so, so highly publicized. I mean, I don't think I've really I can't recall a case that's been this highly publicized since, like, I think Lacey Peterson. Yeah, I really don't like it's just on every single news outlet, news channel. And it is also very bizarre, too, because this is the most recent one getting this uh much interest since social media has reached a new peak, i.e. like TikTok, TikTok and things like that. TikTok, which, for sure. I mean, <laughs> it's becoming a whole different beast with this case. Yeah, it's really interesting. I was trying to think about, I, I didn't, I wasn't super like plugged into um, like missing persons cases in 2004 when Maura Murray went missing. Apparently mm. that was another big one because of Facebook, but I don't really recall that breaking in so much into the mainstream news. Um, And I was trying to think about like, what is it about this case in particular that has just really captivated the country, 
maybe beyond the country. I can't really speak to it. Um, yeah. Well, I also think now it's because like back then Facebook was just kind of like a social media platform that was sort of just like, what even is the internet? You know true, what I mean? And now it's true. like the internet is truly where every single source of information comes from. So it's even harder to disassociate what is real information, what is not. It's like now the internet is like the tip line of a station getting like millions of thousands. And then sometimes it's the thing where it's like some people have the actual information and some people don't. And then some people are just like making shit up or just kind of overblowing Or doing makeup tutorials, asking for clout and (sighs) stuff like that, which is fucking disgusting. Yeah. That is a different topic that we... Yeah. I mean, I I do have thoughts on why why this case in particular is so has has just become such a national point of conversation. But I'll save that for a little bit later on. Um, Let's just go through some of the details really quick. Um, So Gabby Petito was from Blue Point, Long Island. She and her boyfriend slash fiance. I kind of have the feeling that it was a bit of a informal type of engagement Mm -hmm. because I've seen outlets refer to him as both. But anyway, he is 23 year old Brian Laundrie. They decided to try out van life dwelling. They would document their experiences on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and their blog nomadic static. Some outlets refer to her as an influencer. And this is interesting to me because According to BuzzFeed, she had fewer than 15,000 followers before September 13th, which is when this case really started to pick up attention. Um, and she made one video for her YouTube. But this is like not shade because, I mean, fewer than 15,000 followers is a lot. But I just kind of wanted to point out that I think um, a lot of I've noticed like a lot of outlets will kind of default to calling uh, female crime victims influencers if they had mm-hmm. any sort of social media presence, which I don't know why they do that, but it's just something that I've noticed. And I don't know. I I just feel like it has to sort of impact the way that this these things are like perceived, you know? Yeah, I think it I mean, the way I feel it has the multi layer of people being like a little more like to peak a different side of the story for people to be like, oh, this person who is known ish. You know what I mean? I could see that. And then and then also with that, too, I feel there is an inherent type of um preconceived notion of quote unquote influencers you know what i mean that also yes. i feel like play into that where they're like okay because like people just kind of be like oh you're like this like blonde itsy part you know what i mean that's XYZ. exactly yes that's exactly what i was thinking because i feel like people love to dismiss influencers for better mm-hmm. or for worse so i just feel like when people call people like when they go out of their way to like describe someone as an influencer who you know, by all evidence was not really making their money that way. Um, oh. It just feels like a little bit. Uh, I don't know, like a deliberate choice to do something. Um, but that said, I mean, they did have like a bit of an online presence um, for this van life dwelling. And her dad described Gabby to Newsday as very, very free spirited and said that she valued experiences over things like clothes and cars and, you know, just like general material things, which tracks with someone who uh, like tried to leave a lead a minimalist lifestyle and mm-hmm. live in a van. Um, at the time of her death, she was more recently living in Northport, which is in Western Florida with Brian. They moved there about two years ago. Um, I think that's where his family is as well. And Gabby's dad actually moved to Vero Beach, Florida in June to be closer to her. 
Um, and they had an Instagram page, to, which I believe has since been taken down or it was when I checked. I think so. Yeah. Um, bizarre underscore design. So Gabby would kind of write about the experience of downsizing. And then they turned a white Ford Transit essentially into a camper and we're just like living sort of nomadically. Um, like we said, she's like, um, you know, white, five, five, blonde hair, blue eyes, like beautiful. Um, she had like a triangle tattoo on her left arm with some flowers and a let it be tattoo on her right arm. Just like free spirit, wanderlust vibes. Traditional, yeah, kind of what you would uh, gather with someone who is living a van life, a nomadic life. <laughs> and this, of course, came to light on when they decided to do a large trip, a big trip. So on June 17th, Gabby went to New York for her brother's high school graduation, then embarked on this cross-country adventure starting July 2nd. So it was supposed to just kind of be like the summer, summer fun situation. Gabby and Brian arrived in Salt Lake City in August, but left because of heavy wildfire smoke, which I remember reading about that. So, yeah, my sister in Colorado was like really disturbed. It's so, oh God, yeah. Uh, Gabby, though, was supposed to visit a friend in Portland around Halloween. So that was a Portland, Oregon, BT Dubs, not Maine. No, but yeah, not that would have been like a real cross country. (laughs) That would have been double. Yeah, that would have been cross global. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in July, Gabby and Brian went to Grand uh, Teton National Park in Wyoming. And in July 10th, she wrote, quote unquote, after going on our first road trip across the country in my tiny car, we felt like there was just so much we missed. Turning this Ford Transit essentially into camper was such an adventure in itself, but I couldn't love the way it turned out more. So seemingly all things good and <clears throat> great so far that. She said they went to the Great Sand Dunes, kind of just, you know, checking off all the major sites that you'd want to see doing a cross-country trip. Gabby's family said that she FaceTimed them on either August 23rd or 24th, something around then. And then on August 25th, a photo of Gabby was posted to her Instagram, which links out to a video on YouTube featuring Gabby and a man that we're assuming is Brian traveling in a converted van. On August 27th, Gabby and Brian were spotted at a restaurant in Wyoming. Uh, the Merry Piglet's Mexican Grill confirmed that they were there. A uh, witness said that Brian was being, quote-unquote, aggressive to a waitress, the hostess, and also the manager. And the witness further went on to say it was a, quote-unquote, full-blown incident, and that Brian, like, repeatedly would leave and come back into the restaurant, like, kind of storming out. And this happened, like, almost four times or about four times. She's thinking, I mean, this is just from like the witness's POV. Her thought is that this fight started or uh, picked up speed due to the bill. Uh, At one point, Gabby came into the restaurant to apologize and she also was notably visibly upset while Brian argued with the waitress. The waitress said that Brian wasn't screaming, just behaving very aggressively. Uh, So... There's that. And her mom said that she got texts from Gabby's phone as late as August 30th. But here's the thing. These are the text messages that her mom is not positive that Gabby sent them. Right. So they came from her phone, but we don't know that she wrote them. It's not a confirmation thing. Yeah, the last text she got from her mom, the last text her mom got from Gabby read, can you help Stan? I just keep getting his voicemails and missed calls. 
Stan is her grandfather, but she never called him by his first name. So that was an interesting note that uh, people were uh, thinking about in her mom was as well. And she was last seen then in late August. So there was a, I want to backtrack a bit because there was a domestic dispute, which um, they recently released body cam footage for. So I, I feel like at first it was kind of a footnote in the coverage or we didn't even know it happened. And then mm-hmm. um, we learned more about it. So here's what happened um, during that dispute. So on August 12th, this is like a few weeks before Gabby was last spoken to or heard from from her family. Police were called outside the Moonflower Community Cooperative in Moab, Utah, after they witnessed Brian and Gabby having a domestic dispute. The 911 caller said they witnessed Gabby slap Brian across the face while they were fighting over a phone and then climbed through the window of the van. Um, you know, I think Brian had locked her out. Assuming. Um, so a police report said that when they arrived, Gabby was, quote, crying uncontrollably and quote, it said, quote, at no point in my investigation did Gabrielle stop crying, breathing heavily or compose a sentence without needing to wipe away tears wipe her nose or rub her knees with her hands. So she was distraught. She was extremely distraught. And the report notes that. Um, So Brian, on the other hand, uh, I mean, if you watch the body cam footage, he is extremely calm. We'll we'll talk about that in a second. Mm -hmm. Um, But Brian basically told police that spending all that time together in a van created, quote, emotional strain that caused more fighting between the couple And Gabby said that she was experiencing serious anxiety that, quote, all the little arguments she and Brian had been having all day and, quote, made worse. So, like, you know, they were just fighting, spending time in a enclosed space, and it just Mm -hmm. created like a situation that kind of exploded. A snowball. Yes. Um, um, Okay, here's the thing. Brian said Gabby became manic. Those were his words. This the cut reported this um, for fear that he would strand her in the desert. Now, I just feel like if you're fearing that your significant other is going to strand you in the desert, that is serious. Yeah, that's that's a that's a worthwhile fear if that is something you're feeling. And then also the the classic terminology that yes. this guy is using to talk to two other guys like oh, my girlfriend's being mad. You know what I mean? Kind of like chalking it up just to like an eye roll of a girlfriend behavior and not actual her pain and what she's feeling. Yeah, but also if somebody has a fear that you're going to strand them in the desert, that's a red flag. Like you shouldn't have that kind of fear if you're going on a road trip with your fiance. Exactly. And also the fear is their fear. It's like it's like what they are feeling in that. And that is very intense and terrifying that this also it's so this is like towards the this was two months into the trip. So, I mean, even though we do have the notebooks of her kind of writing more positive things, we have no clue. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's a red flag. And also apparently mm-hmm. in addition to, in addition to slapping Brian, Gabby scratched his face and his arms, but it was not super serious. Um, mm-hmm. Like in terms of the depth of the inner injuries, um, the report did note they're in love and engaged to be married and desperately didn't wish to see anyone charged with a crime. And Brian said he felt fine and did not seem to hurt Gabby. So the police body cam footage was released. And I mean, it's hard to watch because right away, right off the gate. um, And it's also hard because I kind of watched it after all the like interpretations and discourse kind of came Mm -hmm. out surrounding it. Mm -hmm. So 
I don't know if I'm watching with an inherent confirmation bias, but to me, I was immediately struck with how calm and how chummy this guy was with the police officers. It really unnerved me a little bit. No, that's exactly the way when I watched it, it felt like they were, and I'm just using this as like a parallel to kind of go with your point. It it felt like a parent teacher conference almost of the Brian and the cops trying to be like, more like, oh, what is going on here? Like she's having this like freak yes. out, cause out moment. Oh, what's happening here? Versus being like the, the cops or anyone who would be there to kind of be like, what is going on with you? Like, can we can we separate and actually have more of a conversation or something? Like yeah, that? I mean, one of the first things I think Brian says to the cops is, oh, she's crazy. And they're just kind yeah. of laughing like, ah, women, am I right? Women are crazy. And it's quite unnerving to see. Yeah, and I'm sure there's all, there's like so many layers to, and I'm sure the cops get so many people that go in vans across so that they're probably like, oh, these, but you know what I mean? I feel like there's so many biases that could lay into that as well. I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, it, it just was kind of clear that I, I don't think that police should be responding to like domestic violence incidents. I just think mm-hmm. on the one hand, I can understand their sort of legal obligation to not treat victims and abusers differently regarding of gender and also Mm -hmm. men of course are abused by their partners and that goes underreported um but then at the same time it does seem like there was a lot of nuance to this situation that like the police didn't didn't or couldn't pick up on because they had to follow like the letter of the law yeah and i feel like it is such a thing that there's so many times that domestic abusers are just like lovers quarrel is such a term that should not really be a term when like bodily harm or actual fear is induced. You know what I mean? Like a lover's quarrel is a fight over like where to go to dinner or like, (laughs) why did you put that? You know what I mean? Not like more so like discussions between two people that are loving versus like actual when elements of fear and like terror come into play. Violence. Yeah. 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 So at the end of it, Basically, like the police, because of just the nature of the report and what it was and what it was saying and the fact that like Gabby was classified as the aggressor, they were like, well, we have to put in a no contact order and we could put her in jail. But like they were trying to avoid that. So basically they like they told Brian like all these all these like things that he would do, like they were going to separate the couple for the night. Um, They took Brian to a hotel for the night. Gabby stayed in the van. And basically, like, he was going to have to go to the police station and sign a waiver to dissolve the no contact order so that they wouldn't have to put Gabby in jail. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the incident was categorized by police as a mental slash emotional break rather than an assault, because, again, they really didn't want to, like, put anyone in jail for this. Um, So that was kind of what happened with that incident, which I just think is really, I don't know, illuminating. Very, yeah, very kind of added, I feel, a much needed layer of context and also groundwork to this story, which I feel kind of said. And just as a reminder, that incident happened on August 12th. So now we are to September 1st, where Brian arrives back in Florida to his family. But as we know, he arrived back in Florida without Gabby. On September 11th, this is when Gabby's parents reported her missing. So very interesting that, I mean, I, it's that the 
that like a 10 day spanned through. I don't know if they even knew that she was supposed to be back then, anything like that. Uh, Northport investigators found the van at Brian's parents' house. Here's where things get a lot more, um, I feel like, rage-inducing almost of just kind of like how... Frustrating, for sure. Frustrating, yeah. So Brian, without... I mean, the one person who was with Gabby this entire summer, the only person traveled with her, everyone like that, just had uh, police called in less than a month ago to check on them type of thing. So he's obviously a POI, a person of interest. But that at this point, police had nothing out for him. They haven't like got... Like an arrest They, or they like, didn't get any information out of him, basically. Yeah, they just kind of were like letting him, like knowing he's a person of interest, but not doing... Well, he actually just was not talking to the police. Like he yeah. was trying... They wanted him to voluntarily come in for an interview. He was refusing. So just to like skip ahead a little bit, because he hired an attorney pretty quickly, which red. I don't know. The thing is, like, I think in every other case, we say it's a red flag. And like, I still think he's guilty. But I also don't think that anybody should willingly talk to the cops without an attorney present. So because that's when you get coerced into. Yeah, like false confessions and all these things. Um, And so the police were kind of at at one point, they were sending questions through his attorney. Um, and so his lawyer was giving him the advice to not talk to the police because when these types of things happen, you know, you always suspect the intimate partner. Um, mm-hmm. So his initial claim was that he was just listening to his lawyer's advice by not not going in willingly or, you know, going in voluntarily for an interview. But now the fact that he's missing kind of complicates it all. I mean, that kind of makes it be like, okay, so was this your lawyer's advice to just, right? you know what, dude, hit the fucking tail? To go on a hike, in quotes. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's in very insane. So he went on this hike, as we all know, and now nobody knows, well, nobody is claiming to know where he is. I feel like the crazy thing was that it was last Friday, I think, that his parents came out and said, we haven't seen him since Tuesday. Yes. So it's like you had three days where he didn't come back, where you didn't tell anyone. I mean, we can get into it. Yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. We can get into it. But I'm just <laughs> I mean, like, I, yeah. There's a there's a there's parental love. I feel can stretch very far for a lot of things. So I'll just leave that at that, <laughs> and then go on to say that um, last week the police actually started to look for him because the parents, like uh, Sarah said, haven't seen him. They told police he left home with his backpack September 14th and told them he was going to the reserve near their home. Police searched the reserves. Nothing was there. I mean, your son is a person of interest in the mm-hmm. biggest, like case. most publicized case in the country right now, and you're going to let him go on a hike. So police went to search for him. So far, nothing has come up. But on Sunday, they did find uh, human moraines in the Bridgerton National Forest in Wyoming. And everybody, of course, started to make connections for could this be Gabby's body? Kind of matches up to where the area was. A day later, of course, we all know the remains were confirmed to be Gabby's body. And after that, this is when the FBI got involved. They ruled her death a homicide. But as of now, Friday, September 24th, they have not released a full cause of death yet. 
and the FBI and police are currently searching for Brian. Uh, his parent issued a statement on Wednesday saying, may Gabby rest in peace. And also, I believe they said that it was heartbreaking news, but gave no further comment. His sister has been making, she's been weirdly like the spokesperson for them. I don't know if spokesperson is the correct word, but I know she went on Good Morning America, like kind of talking about it first before Gabby's body was found, saying, oh, they just kind of fought like boyfriends and girlfriends. And then, which is just kind of a weird claim that, that her kind of going out to say that. And then she started revealing text messages and postcards that Gabby sent her kids. So it was ve- it's very interesting how the sister's the only person like, talking mm-hmm. yeah uh as of yesterday so this is thursday the 23rd the u.s district court of wyoming issued a federal arrest 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 warrant for brian and a federal grand jury indicted him for his quote use of unauthorized devices following the death of gabby so according to that indictment he used the debit card and pin number for accounts that didn't belong to him for charges over a thousand dollars and I wonder what that was for. That is, yeah. So an attorney for the laundries emphasized in a statement that the warrant was not for Gabby's death, but it was related to activities that took place afterward, which like, all right, you know, sure. That is true for now. Um, but I kind of just feel like they're just trying to get more information. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't even think that we need to discuss theories because this seems pretty obvious to me what happened. Maybe not the particulars, but. No, I I feel exactly everyone's on the same thing. And the theories now, it's a lot of like for active cases, I feel like a lot of the theories of like the motives and stuff like that is more like noise and not the news of it all thing, which is just sort of like, let's let's wait to I know we. We theorize a lot about older cases, but this one, while it's still going on, we don't want to put anything out there that would not add to anything. Agree. Like, I feel like even theorizing about the particulars is almost irrelevant. Yeah, exactly. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. What I love about Shopify is basically how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. I know we use Shopify here at Betches, and honestly, anyone with any kind of business could really benefit from Shopify. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash betches, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash betches now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash betches. So now we're going to talk about a couple of other cases that 
also like deserve some attention. Um, one actually is it it was initially explored mm-hmm. as a possible connection to this case, but it kind of turned out that it wasn't. But it was these two women who were murdered in Moab, Utah. So Kylan Schultz, who's, who was 24, and Crystal Turner, 38, were reported missing on August 16th, and they were last seen August 13th at Woody's Tavern in Moab. And the couple were married in April, and they were living in different campgrounds near Moab, and they would just kind of split their time at various campsites. Um, so I kind of feel like similar vibes to the van dwelling, but just camping. Um, yeah, people who just kind of like to live in the world versus yeah. yeah. So on August 18th, the women were found fatally shot and they were found in a creek near their campsite um, by a friend, Cindy Sue Hunter. They were also found partially undressed with multiple gunshot wounds. And what is really concerning is that before this happened, Kylan had told her friends that if something happened to her and Crystal, they were murdered. Which shows that she was there was a level of fear in her that that was something she would already start to talk about. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. And she told friends that there was a creepy man around their campsite and they were intimidated by him. Um, and I think they ended up moving campsites at one point. But something, you know, they still were killed. Um, and although initially authorities did not rule out a link between their murders and Gabby's murder alleged, they are now saying that there's no link between them. But what was really um, interesting was that the fight that Gabby and Brian got into happened outside this co-op where Kylan worked for four years. So I don't know. It's just a really odd coincidence it really, I know it was very, when I saw that, I kind of was like, oh, this could be, and I mean, it's still, I mean, but I feel like I was like, oh, this could be a huge snowball of things in this area. Right. I think a few people thought that there was a possible connection. Yeah. Um, I mean, at least it's unfortunate that it took this disappearance to bring more attention to their murder, mm-hmm. but it did happen. Um, and Kylan's dad is very upset about what's going on. Um he wrote on Facebook, are authorities really going to tell us that this was an isolated case, that there's no rapists and murderers running around our mountain? How in the world could they possibly say that? Um, which kind of speaks to what you said, like there there's clearly like a or in his opinion, there is a, a bigger problem that mm-hmm. authorities are just not addressing. Um, he also wants national attention on the case. And the FBI is involved, but they have yet to identify or at least publicly identify a suspect. All right. So hopefully they get some clarity. I mean, yeah. Who was this creepy man? Truly, that is just that was lurking around this area. So it feels like they can dwindle it down. Again, this is another case they can dwindle down to seemingly a particular person. Right. I wonder I wonder if what the dad is implying is that there were other people who were like killed or disappeared or something in this area. Who knows? Well, and that's an interesting thing that he brought up and also is a topic of conversation that I feel this case is also, I don't want to say ignited, reignited, or continued to uh, discuss. And that is that uh, the idea of like the missing white women syndrome, which we've talked about before on this podcast. And it is just kind of a, uh, the idea that sort of like, why do certain cases get these national attention and pick up like 
crazy and there's so many that don't. So right. From- I mean, and also just to be clear, it's not to say that cases like Gabby's don't deserve attention because they do. I mean, I feel like the attention helped resolve this case very quickly. Yes. It's just that other people who go missing or are killed or are victims of crime should mm-hmm. also have the media attention that they need to resolve those cases as well so that these families aren't left without answers for like months and years. Mm-hmm. Well, because it is interesting where I feel like when uh, missing white women syndrome is discussed so many times it goes into like a postmortem victim blaming. Do you know what I mean? Versus when it's like, it's not them, it's the outlets, it's the resources of the police. It's all those factors that just kind of like indicate biases that should be removed to help out other people in need. Well, yeah. What do you mean? Like nobody, are you saying that like, oh, no, like uh, when people are like, uh, no, cause to kind of go with your point, people are like, why, why Gabby? Why not this person? When it's like, everyone's talking when people say things like that it's to be like yeah why is why is it to the police why is it to uh the outlets and why is it to all these people that are only covering gabby's case and not these other cases yeah yeah i feel like it's supposed to be an indictment of just the media the police even just the public um yeah for just the the things we care about why we care about them why we don't care about other things i mean it's just bias you know exactly yeah Yeah. so in this area from 2011 to 2020 There have been hundreds of indigenous people, mainly girls, who have gone missing. Uh, The Wyoming Missing and Murdered Indigenous People Task Force found that at least 710 indigenous people have gone missing in Wyoming in the last 20 years. Oh my God. 57% were female and 85% were killed. That is a huge problem. Is this the area I'm blanking on that where Up and Vanished's new season is focused on? Or is that I think that's Montana. Okay, because I know he's Payne, who was on this podcast. You obviously know is kind of uh, focusing on a case that is a uh, non-talked about, underrepresented case. So if you are interested in more of that, you could check out that. Um, of these uh, missing people, fifty-seven percent were female, and eighty-five percent were killed. It is also found that fifty percent of missing Indigenous people were found within a week, but then half weren't. But then half weren't. So, uh, and it shows like if there were more resources, what could be done there? That's what I think of with all these statistics. 21% went missing for 30 or more days compared to 11% of white people. And also only 30% of indigenous people who were homicide victims made the news as compared to 51% of white homicide victims. Indigenous female homicide victims had the lowest rates of coverage with 18% being the number, which is extremely low. And also when their motors recovered, indigenous people were quote unquote, overly graphic. Uh, they were more likely to portray the victims in a negative light, contain violent language and kind of have less information and uh, more like just kind of like randomness than compared to a white homicide victim. It's sort of that thing where I feel like you have the, in some true crime documentaries when you have like all these people attesting to how amazing these, people were that were missing you know what I mean versus that not being the case yeah I think there's also I was reading in this report um that there just tends to be more kind of victim blaming in the reports or in the media Mm -hmm. coverage like discussing drug use and and things like that where Mm -hmm. you wouldn't see that I mean it's classic I think every time even like when 
white men murder people like they choose the photo of them like laughing on a jet ski with their family compared to the photo that's chosen like you know even the photo with Alex Murdoch he's smiling on all them great you know what I mean yeah, true. like anything like that um, indigenous people represent less than 3% of the state's total population, but 21% of Wyoming's homicide victims. An insane flip statistic. And if you want to learn more about these issues and also support an organization dealing with these disappearances, you can go to mmiwusa.org. That's Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women USA. So just one more time, mmiwusa.org. And uh, like I said before, uh, Payne, Lindsay's newest podcast is about the 20-year-old Ashley Loring Heavy Runner, who was a young indigenous woman who went missing from the Black uh, Feet Nation Indian Reservation in 2017. Yeah, and so there there have been a few cases that have gotten renewed attention um, sort of in the wake of this case. So just wanted to like briefly go over a few. Um, you know, this first of all, this is, of course, not an exhaustive list. Um, this is not all the information that's out there. It's a brief overview. If you guys are interested, I really encourage you to do your own research. And also, um, I've linked, a, we're going to link a few resources in the episode notes. Um, so one case, as we mentioned, there's a huge problem with indigenous people, especially women going missing and getting killed. Um, Mary Johnson is a missing indigenous woman. She's 40 years old. She disappeared in Washington state. She was last seen walking along Fire Trail Road in the Tulalip Reservation on November 25th, 2020. And she wasn't even reported missing until December 9th. And her family says that they've had no leads, which is frustrating and heartbreaking for them. Tribal police say they know of at least three people who saw her walking along Fire Trail Road the day she disappeared. And she may have been transported to Osa, Washington, about 30 miles northeast of the reservation. The FBI is offering up to $10,000 for any information leading to the arrest and conviction of anyone involved in Mary's disappearance. But like we said, she just seems to have vanished and it's causing the family a lot of grief to have no answers. Of course. And um, another case that is getting also more, more of the attention it deserves is um, the disappearance of Daniel Robinson. So he is 24 years old, a geologist. He was last seen driving a blue 2017 Jeep Renegade um, away from his work site in Buckeye, Arizona on June 23rd. So that's June 23rd. Almost a month later, July 21st, a rancher found the car in a ravine, rolled on its side. The airbags were deployed. Um, evidence seems to indicate that Daniel or whoever was driving the car was wearing their seatbelt when the crash occurred. Um, the car also appeared to have been driven after the crash. I think something like the engine or the ignition was turned over like 46 times or something like that after they like did an investigation of the car. Um, also, Daniel's phone, keys, wallet, and clothes were found in the car. And his his father is just really upset with the, the search or what he perceives to be like a lack thereof. Um, police say they conducted four ground searches and two aerial searches and two more on July 21st after the car was found. But again, um, his father is just really not, not happy with the investigation. Um, and 
it's currently um, classified as a missing persons case. There is a change.org position urging for the police to change it to a criminal investigation. And you can sign that position at the link in our episode notes. Um, you can also call the Buckeye Police Department if you know of any information. Um, 623-349-6400. And as well, um, when we're kind of talking about like cases that historically don't get much um, attention, um, Daniel has a disability. He doesn't have his right arm from his forearm down. And according to the National Center for Victims of Crime, people with disabilities are at least two times as likely to be the victims of violent victimization when compared to people without a disability. And this is compared to data compiled between 2009 and 2015. And as well, nearly 11 out of 1,000 people with one disability were victims of a serious violent victimization. And that rate actually goes up for people who have multiple disabilities. So these are just all just sort of like intersectional points to consider. Um, And of course, these are really just two cases um, that are in the news right now. There are just there are so many people who are not getting the attention and answers and justice that they deserve. No, exactly. It's so the list just truly never ends with that. So if we if you guys have any information for that, help out and we'll be sure, obviously, to watch these cases and other cases, too, to update you with anything along the way. And. I mean, ugh, I just, it's its the hard, it's the hardest ones when it's sort of like for uh, Gabby or the uh, uh, Kylan and Crystal where it's like, you just know there could be answers, but it's just kind of the waiting or the how to get the answers. You know what I mean? It's just very, just gets so frustrating and hard. Yeah, definitely. I think with that, we think- are going to wrap up. That's yeah. That's this episode. There is in lieu of a game. Take some time to sign the petition below, uh, and then just kind of just spend some time to kind of research this area and check out Payne's podcast because it is very. He is very informative and is on these flights, going to these places. Yeah. What was his tweet where it's like not enough people knocking on doors? He's knocking on the doors. So go check out season three of Up and Vanished. One of my favorite replies to that tweet was because they don't want to be in the next episode of a true crime podcast. That's why they're not knocking on the doors, which... Yeah, that's true. So (laughs) That's true. But yeah, Payne is doing that thing with his bleach blonde hair. Check out his podcast and we'll see you next week. Not Another True Crime Podcast is produced by Jorge Morales Pico and Sean Kilby. Our hosts are Sarah Levine and Danny Murphy. Editing by Jorge Morales Pico. Social media by Sarah Levine. Be sure to follow at NATC Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send us your emails to NATC at Betches.com. Betches.